You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Open Mic Friday, June the 25th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. Open Mic right now means that I read from emails that you send or telephone calls that I have received. And the email address is lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. First email. Pastor, thank you for your great show. I have a question about how to have a good biblical argument that life starts at conception. I have liberal friends that insist that life starts after the baby is able to live independent of the mother. I just wanted to know how you would make this argument. Thank you. Then it's signed. Well, this is a common argument that you hear. It actually came from the President of the United States, who had talked to his pastor, who is quite liberal, and said, no, the baby is not a human being until after it's born. Now, in your email, you say that they argue that life starts after the baby is to live independent of the mother. Now, do these people think we are crocodiles? Crocodiles live independent of the mother once they come out of the egg. But human beings, can you imagine you have a baby, you bring the baby home from the hospital, and then you never talk to the baby or deal with it because it's independent of the mother. You see, this is an argument that also can be used to put babies to death after they are born because they're still not independent of the mother. And if they have some kind of disease, well, who cares? Now, when it comes to why people think this way, a lot of times it's due to evolution because in evolution, the baby really isn't a human being. It goes through various stages in the womb. I had a relative who believed that. And therefore, if the baby is put to death before it's a human being, then you are not committing murder. So what Bible verse would I use? Well, first of all, you've got Bible verses from the Old Testament that in the womb, God was taking care of certain prophets. And therefore, why would he be doing that since they were not independent of the mother? But let me give you the best example. We often talk about the cross of Christ is the answer to a lot of our questions. Can you imagine that when Mary had been visited by Gabriel and said that she would conceive and bear a child, and then right after that she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, 
And Elizabeth refers to her as the mother of God. Now, wait a minute. Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John the baptizer. And yet both Elizabeth and Mary, who were pregnant, they considered their pregnancy to be that of a human being. So if somebody says that Jesus did not become a human being until after he was able to live independent of the mother, then you would destroy the doctrine of the incarnation, that Jesus was incarnate by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. You see, when someone has false doctrine, they can never be consistent with their other teachings. And that becomes even more clear in the next email. Pastor Baker, I listen to your program as often as I can, and I have learned so much about God's Word. Thank you. I would appreciate it if you could email me a response. I wish for your insight into an issue with my brother that is heavy on the hearts of my family. As the president of his Lutheran church, leader of a Bible study, father and husband, Satan has had a target on his back. Now, let let me say before going on, if you are a Christian, Satan will always have a target on your back. We saw that with the disciples of Jesus. Going on with the email. Two years ago, my married brother decided to have an affair with a married woman. This has resulted in the end of his marriage and apparently soon hers as well. As you can imagine, this has been a cause for heartache to many people on many levels. My brother wishes for our family to stop all contact with his former wife. He wishes for us to include his married girlfriend in our weekly family gatherings. My sibling and parents are not willing to banish his ex-wife from our family. We believe that when he invited her into our family, 20 years ago, she became our sister daughter. She needs family more now, trying to raise three children on her own. My brother asked if he could bring this woman he is dating to our home for my child's birthday. My husband and I invited my brother to our home but would not allow her to our home. He became extremely angry with us, feels we are unforgiving, rigid, and judgmental, and has threatened to keep his children 
from our family. He only speaks to us now to attempt to engage in an argument regarding our choices. In a summary of a letter to him, I let him know of my daily prayers for him. I reminded him of the forgiveness he received through Jesus 2,000 years ago. I told him that I love him, and I hope that he will understand that we will not support his self-destructive behavior. Are we making the right choice? Your response would be greatly appreciated. Well, I think you are making the right choice. This is occurring not only in various people who have an affair with somebody rather than their spouse and then expect the family to welcome the one they are having adultery with into their home. This is ridiculous. It's similar to you have a son or daughter, uh, they're in college, and they decide that the gay lifestyle is what they want to practice. And so they're going to be coming home for Christmas, and they not only want to bring their gay partner with them, but to sleep with them in their own bedroom. That is not something that a parent can condone because you are giving the impression that what they are doing is okay. Now, you say that he threatens that he will not allow you to see his three children. Well, the fact is, is the spouse that he is cheating on also has those three children. And unless he's had a court order where they are given to him, the spouse can bring the three children to your home at any time. In fact, you may need to use family court in order to make sure that he does not keep the children from the family. Now, there's something in the letter I really want to hit on because he gets really angry with us, feeling we are unforgiving, rigid, and judgmental, and has threatened to keep his children from our family. That is a typical reaction of an unbeliever. Why? Because when you point out an unbeliever's lifestyle that is contrary to the will of God, you are obviously telling them that they are living in sin. And in order to have a defense mechanism, they accuse you of being unforgiven, rigid, and judgmental. Let's take that attitude in an incident in the Bible. Jesus tells his disciples, 
We're going to Jerusalem because there I will die. Peter, no, you won't. We'll protect you. Get thee behind me, Satan. Did Peter say to Jesus, Boy, you are unforgiving. You are rigid. You are judgmental. No. Peter recognized that with those words, Jesus was telling him that what he was asking was contrary to the will of God. Jesus was not the one who was judgmental. Peter was. It reminds us of the occasion when Jesus and the disciples are in a boat. There's a big storm. And what's Jesus doing? He's asleep on the boat. So what do the disciples do? They wake him up with this question. Do you not care that we are perishing? Once more, this is an accusation against Jesus. This happened a number of times. Remember with Mary and Martha? Who does Mary get angry with when Martha isn't helping her to make a dinner? She gets angry with Jesus. Tell my sister to help me. And what she's saying is that there's no doubt that Jesus isn't giving her enough attention and blames Jesus for the problem. So, I would not permit this adulterous woman. If your brother is still a member of the Lutheran Church, you said he was president of it, I would visit the pastor and ask him to begin disciplinary action against your brother. In my congregation for 28 years, we excommunicated about seven individuals, and a couple of them were due to unfaithfulness in marriage. It wasn't that they were excommunicated because they had cheated on their spouse, but because they were unrepentant of it, and they were blaming us that I love this woman. I no longer love my spouse. And the Bible makes pretty clear that when you marry someone, it's for a lifetime. All right, next. I am gives the name, her age, and I am Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I also have Aspergo Syndrome which is a form of autism. I have always liked biblical history, even though it muddles my mind. I have talked to some pastors in the past, and they don't seem to understand why it confuses me. There are places in the Bible that seem to contradict Josephus. He was a historian, by the way. Yet historians in the church 
seem to think just because Josephus says something, that is the way it was. Example, Josephus says Annas and Caiaphas were not high priests at the same time, and the Bible seems to say they were. And yet historians usually explain that away by saying Annas is the power behind Caiaphas. Why not accept the Bible over Josephus in terms of history like that? People with asparagus tend to dig deeply into things they like. Mine happens to be this type of biblical history. I have many commentaries and study Bibles that I look through all the time. The reason I'm writing you is because I have been told of your Bible study on the radio by my mom. And since you are a theologian, perhaps you would understand more how I find these things interesting. When I talk to my pastor and the pastors in the past, they kind of get impressed with the things I ask and know about and miss the point why I'm trying to get my priorities straight. I could ask a lot more questions, but I know you don't have time for that. If you could find time to answer, I would appreciate a lot. I do consider myself a Christian and sometimes have trouble separating biblical history from the gospel. I don't attend church often because of the Asperger's. It prevents me from being social anywhere and uncomfortable around people. I spend a lot of time on the computer looking things up. I hope this letter is okay, and I hope you understand. I have talked with my pastor about these things when we joined that church. I don't want you to think I need counseling. I already receive it. I'm just trying to find someone that could possibly clear up some of my questions. I could. I wish I could listen to you on the radio, but it won't pick up in our house. Thank you for your time. So, what I did is I actually phoned this individual and told her about how she could listen to any program on KFUO through the computer. And buying a computer would be a good decision because you just go to kfuo.org and you can hear the fact that the Bible is the Word of God. And yes, there are many outside the Bible who do not agree with various things in the Bible. So continue to study, but continue to check it all the time with the Bible. And we answered other questions she had. Pastor Baker, I'm a listener of your Law and Gospel program on KFUO. Actually, I'm an MP3 listener. And I very much appreciate your ministry. I am currently reading and studying the parable of the sower. 
and know there are rules one applies when studying parables. My recollection is that Jesus is the main character. There is only one predominant spiritual lesson. Is this correct? Would you be so kind as to provide the correct rules of parable interpretation? Well, Jesus talks about that when he's speaking to the disciples about parables. He says to them in Mark, with what parable can we describe the kingdom of God? Now, the word parable refers to other items besides kind of made-up stories that describe the kingdom of God. It can also refer to a metaphor or a simile. It's not always about the kingdom of God. But when you talk about the kingdom of God, Jesus gives an example to the disciples. You take a mustard seed, very, very small. You put it in the ground, and you wake up in the morning, and it begins to grow. I have been fascinated as we drive to the churches, four churches in Illinois, with which I am serving as they look for a pastor to be called. But we go by field after field of new crops. And it's really amazing to me where just a month or two ago, the field was bare. And now some of the fields are filled with corn three to four feet high. How does that happen? Well, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like such a seed, and it grows into a beautiful tree. And what is the tree used for? The birds make their nest in the trees. They're protected from animals on the ground that would attempt to eat their young. So the church is like that. Jesus is the sower who sows seed in the ground. And you can go to churches that are growing wonderfully because that seed has taken root and it has grown into a beautiful plant. In that other parable of the sower, Jesus puts the word of God, the seed, on the ground everywhere. But some people kind of choke the seed. They're like weeds or they're thorns, and they don't allow the seed to grow. That's an example of what happens when we witness. We have no idea whether the person to whom we are talking is going to believe the words of the Bible or disbelieve them and turn away. Never give up on anyone because what a parable does 
it takes a common item in the world and then compares it to how the kingdom of God is growing. And yes, in parables, for example, the lost sheep. Jesus isn't the lost sheep. He's the shepherd who finds the sheep, puts it on his shoulders, and carries it home. That's what Jesus did for every believer who comes to faith by hearing the words of Scripture or by being baptized. Jesus is carrying you on his shoulders. That's the really good news. The entire Bible is not a parable, but there are many parables in the Bible. But the entire Bible does speak of Jesus everywhere, in every Old Testament passage, in every New Testament passage. So when I taught my Sunday school teachers, the goal was, where is Jesus in this passage? And then we would give examples that they could share with the children so that they found Jesus everywhere. That's what KFUO is all about, and that certainly is what Law and Gospel is all about, to preach the law of God and the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you want to hear how we do that on a biblical passage, tune in Monday for Monday's Law and Gospel as we examine a reading for the following Sunday. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.